It's time for Shit We Don't Talk About with Mia Voss, powered by Helix Interactive. This is a podcast that covers the things we don't talk about, but totally should. Join Mia and her guests as they dive into the deep end of issues, events, and controversies that too often remain in the dark. How can we change shit if we're not even willing to talk about it? And now, sit back and strap in. Here's your host... Hey, welcome to episode four of the Shit We Don't Talk About podcast. My guest is Anne Wen, Vietnamese immigrant with an awesome Texas accent. Anne and her family fled to the U.S. after the fall of Saigon in 1975. In addition to discussing her family's journey, we'll be talking about the concept of model minorities, as well as her current passion project entitled Children of the Dragon, which showcases stories of the immigration experience. Strap in, it's about to get a little feisty and informative in here. Hi, Anne Wen. Hi, Mia Voss. How are you, sis? I'm good. How are you? I am so excited to talk to you today. Listen, if you're listening to this, you're going to hear us call each other sis a lot because we know each other so well, but I am really excited to broach this topic, which is something I realized when I was listening to your new show, which is Children of the Dragon, which we'll get to, but tell us your story and then we're going to talk about model minority. Ah, yes. Something so my else. Story, That's shit we don't talk about, right? Yes, that is definitely shit we don't talk about. Oh, good. I was wondering how much I could cast. I figured oh. whoever's editing this will bleep me out. if, if Not I a bit. I mean, the word shit is in the title, folks. So, you know, exactly. wear headphones when you're going to listen to this one, especially <laughs> when we get to go in. So. Yes, it is not safe for small ears or little ears. Um, so my story, I am uh, an immigrant. I'm a Vietnamese immigrant. My family and I fled the United, not the United States, fled for the United States. Oh, I'm about ready to flee the United States with the way things are going. Ooh, the way things are going, yes. So we fled uh, from Vietnam as refugees in 1975 after the war, after the end of the war. We literally left on April 29th, the day before Saigon fell, wow. on April 30th. And uh, we were very fortunate to have left the way we did. Uh, my dad served in the South Vietnamese Air Force, which was supported by the United States. And uh, he had been here in, the, in Texas for training and things, and so had met people, knew people. But I will give the, the U.S. government uh, this kudos. They made every effort to get um, the military out, the uh, ambassador, uh, the embassy uh, workers, uh, sorry, when I talk about this, I get all a little flustered. Um, the embassy workers who were supportive of the U.S. To, to help get them out because they knew that once the communist regime uh, came into power, um, for people like my dad who were in the military, would have been put into quote-unquote re-education camps. And yeah, you know, they would what, go after them first, I'm guessing. Yes, and all the... Um, you know, politicos and journalists and people who, again, supported the, the U.S. and were against the communists would have been placed into prison or re-education camps, mm. uh, which is, you know, a nicer way of saying prison and, and possibly worse. And so uh, every effort was made to help us leave the country. And my dad came onto my grandfather's farm on April 29th, in the morning of April 29th, 
and picked us up, picked up his wife, his three young children, myself included. So we were like, I was four. My brothers were two and a half and one. And my mother was pregnant with my baby sister. So, and you know, at the time she was a 25 year old young woman with a very young family. And just, can you imagine? I mean, when I was 25, I was worried about what's the next party I'm going to go to or, you know, what, you know, what, what's the next promotion I can try to get at my job. I wasn't thinking about leaving my homeland with my three young children and one on the way with my husband and putting every faith into, you know, the efforts and the people of the country that I was going to be going to. And um, so we left on April 30th. um, Once they had fled us out of the country, we, we stayed overnight on an Island off the coast of Vietnam. And the next morning, the U.S. military got us the heck out of Dodge, man. We were on those um, cargo uh, flights. I don't know if you've ever seen, like, in the movies where they just literally have benches on the sides and there's netting and you sit there and you're belted in. You got your, you know, helmet on. That's what we were in. Yeah. We um, a, uh, on the USS Midway, which is an aircraft carrier. I know. This is, this anyway. is movie. <laughs> These are these are movie plot types of things that that you were going through. And Gidget, your your favorite little Frenchie, had to pop in there and and agree with your story here. If you heard that barking in the background, she yeah. loves her her auntie Anne. But yeah, I just know. I mean, she does. But everything. I mean, I'm assuming your family also left with nothing. Yes, we literally left with nothing. I mean, my mother was able to grab a few photos. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's one of the things that really has struck me in a conversation that I can have at another time too, like knowing that you have to flee your country so quickly and so just abruptly. And what is it that you take with you? If you can't take clothing, you can't take all of the sentimental things. What is it that you can take with you? My mother grabbed literally a handful of photos. And to me, those are my most prized possession, right? I, I can lose my car, I can lose whatever else. But if I ever lost one of those photos, I I would I would probably just be in grief for days. If not sure. Because it's just something that will never be able to be replaced. Uh, but so we made our way through, you know, Subic Bay, which is the Philippines, and ended up in a refugee camp there, again, set up by the government. Um, we were there for about a month in preparation to get to the United States. And uh, we landed in California. And it was my first time ever seeing a blonde family. I remember coming off the plane and I was mesmerized. I had never seen blonde people before. And here you are, my beautiful blonde friend. How funny. You're so mesmerized by this this family. Right. Um, And in uh, California, we were outside of of San Diego. We were um, housed at a refugee camp in Camp Pendleton. You guys are familiar with Camp Pendleton. It is a Marine Base. Right, and they set up literally tent city, tents upon tents, and within the tents there were cots, rows of cots, and that's that's where we slept and lived, and families were housed together, um, and such. And because it was such a large tent, we were often there with you know many other families, and and thankfully we knew quite a few of them. And we were there uh, for about another month or so, getting processed, and because my dad had met people in Texas. We were fortunate enough to be sponsored by a couple uh, in Pasadena, which is a suburb of Houston, and um, they brought us here to live with them for a few months and uh, get us set up and and get us back on our feet. So, um, you know, can you imagine, though, to be 
especially during that time when the sentiment for the war was just so acrimonious. And then yes. to have this um, couple who had older children, their children were adults, so they were a little bit older, be willing to open up their home and their lives to a family. To a that, young family. To a young, a young family, family was yes. born on the way and mm-hmm. the whole the whole night. Now, do you remember this vividly? Obviously the blonde family, which I love, that's so funny in our friendship now. But does um, it, do you remember, I, I think I heard on your interview with the, the Children of the Dragon, you do remember being do. on your, your, far, your aunt's farm and standing, gonna, her standing up to the- this video because the sun's like making me look like I have a mustache. Um. <laughs> Let's not do that. <laughs> For you men out there, women are terrified of that look. Little <laughs> FYI. Exactly. And now you're going to want to go and watch the YouTube video. This time, so. <laughs> exactly. Now you'll have to go watch the video to see what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I do remember it because, and people go, you were four. How could you remember? Because, well, if you read studies and, and you know, what the experts say, things that are traumatic, regardless of your Age. I think maybe after a certain age, you will have the memory, but I, I know I was four, but I do. I don't remember all of it, but the bits and pieces that I do remember kind of make together the day. And um, sure. that's part of what I'm doing right now before I share my full story on Children of the Dragon, I, because I have the memory of a four-year-old of what happened. I want to fill in the gaps with from the adults of what actually happened. So sure. Um, the trauma piece is so interesting when you brought that up and in, in your in your interviews too of you know again it's it's not your trauma necessarily but it's that generational it's it's from your your family's history and then again not being as aware of it but you know it's there and you even mentioned that you have not been back to Vietnam I haven't I haven't and sorry uh, if I'm jumping ahead but I just no, thought that was such no, no, an no. interesting uh, piece of of how you weave your story and of being integrated obviously look at you got a you got a Texas accent sis let's just <laughs> let's just call it like it is right I do and people are so surprised when they they hear me speak for the first time they're like wait why why do you have a Texas accent I'm like well I grew up in Houston I've been here since I was four yeah so, yeah yeah I look like this but I sound like this in fact there's a not to digress but there's a Korean uh, comedian I don't know if you re- have ever seen him he a grip in Oklahoma so he has that really heavy Oklahoma twang, twang. <laughs> and that was his thing he'd come out on his on stage and start his his uh, comedy I know I look like this but I sound like this so it was right uh, right right it's I mean that's that is the immigrant story though sis when you think about it, it is. is is i mean if there's anything that i'm really hoping we were talking about before we jumped on here the current climate of the world um and the immigrant story and how it's considered like just think about that of of what you know this is this is our look this is how we look but this is how we sound and that this is this is what the world this is what our country is about of uh and of the immigrant immigrant story but that we're all the same in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're all human beings. We all have, you know, the dislikes, similar likes, dislikes, the same kind of challenges. You know, I, I, I joke about um, being mesmerized by the blonde family because not joke really, but because I'd not ever come across or experienced blondes in Vietnam because we're all, you know, dark haired, all this stuff. But you and I have very similar I guess, a mindset. I mean, mm-hmm. you are blonde, blue eyed, whatever, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you look like that. And I look like this. We connect with each other over uh, 
what we share um, over, you know, our similar, again, dislikes, likes, whatever mm -hmm. it is, we can have really deep discussions about topics. Um, and you just connect, as Brian Kramer says, human to human, right? Like you connect with that, that kindred spirit or kindred soul. And that's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that <laughs> right. I, it's so true. And, but what I'm loving too, that you're bringing to the table again with your passion project, we're going to weave this in throughout the interview, just because I, you just started it. I just watched twice your first episode with two young women who have gone through one was uh, Taiwanese and the other, mm -hmm. um, what was uh, Tina? She was, uh, Tina was Taiwan from Taiwan. Yes, she's Ta Taiwan, right. And, and then, um, Amara. Amara is, um, is from uh, Cambodia, Cambodia. Mm -hmm. and uh, her family escaped um, the Pol Pot regime. The Khmer which, Rouge. I mean, yeah. the, the, and the difference in the story. So this is what I love. So again, they're the same thing. They, they sound uh, like they're from this country, look different, but they're bringing, I really want to open people up to hear the experiences of the, the different foods, what your family grew up with. And um, yeah, that, I love that you're, you're bringing that in because it is so crucial right now in this current climate. And then for people to hear your story as well, that this is how your, your family escaped. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, it really, I'm glad that you asked me on because I love the name of this show because it is it's shit we don't talk about. And especially in the, the Asian culture too, there is, there's a lot of that, you know, tight lippedness of, okay, we have to, to save face. We have to be very stoic. We don't show emotion. We don't show this. We don't show that. It's very, right. you know, it's, there's a lot of shit underneath that's not talked about and, totally. and it just boils over through generations. Um, I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie or read the book, Joy Luck Club, right? And, and yes. while it just really resonated with me because there was so many underlying stories as she dug into her mother's stories yeah. and her mom's friend's stories that we don't think about as, you know, the children or the grandchildren or whatever of what they went through. And mm -hmm. I am the same way. And I feel like in the last probably 10 years, I have finally embraced truly my identity and really want to understand more of what that was like. Yes. Um, because I have this superficial story that I've just shared with you, right? Because of my memories. But I know there's so much behind that that I don't know and I don't understand yet. And I'm just beginning to dig into it. It's like an iceberg. You just see the tip of the iceberg, but right. I know there's so much more underneath that. I think the thing with assimilation was such a big deal, and you mentioned it uh, before with, with your family. And I was totally thinking of, not to be stereotypical, but of Joy Luck Club because they had that same thing of these right. women who were so Americanized, and then they went back and told those stories. Now, when you get here, and my friend Faye talks about the same thing, her families from the Philippines, they get here and they just work hard. And that was something that, uh, that was such a running theme with all three of, of mm -hmm. you, with your, you and your two guests of the, how hard the families work and they just want to get here and make that life. And they're doing whatever they need to do. But I do love the fact we're going to go back and tell those stories now so that it's not just this homogenized thing. We mm -hmm. want to hear what it was that, where they came from. That is the, the true melting pot. Not just that everybody looks and sounds alike, but what's the what's the culture that you're bringing? And and um, you even said that that your guests had uh, their family started having even more candid conversations after they kind of cracked that open. We're telling mm -hmm. their stories. Yeah, that that made me feel really just humbled. Actually, that 
that happen because again, Asian elders um, <laughs> keep that very stoic face, and there is just there is truly a lot of shit that doesn't get talked about, mm. and um, I, I hope to break that um, and open some minds and hearts, and not just people who are you know not Asian or not immigrants, but also within our own communities that, that yes. there is stuff that we need to still kind of dig through and talk about and and di- digest um yeah you know, just historically the Vietnamese people we have we were enslaved by the Chinese for a thousand years wow. um we have known war for millennia right so can you just imagine the kind of trauma that every generation has gone through where sure. there's some kind of war there's some kind of conflict that gets passed down whether you realize it or not. And so um, that concept of the transgenerational trauma uh, that Amara brought up was very interesting to me. And I thought, wow, it was like such a light bulb moment for me when she brought this up. And she had a really good article that she wrote on the UN site, but I think it's been taken down now only because it was such an older piece of content. I haven't been able to link back to it. Um, and I shared the link a while back and it was still up, but, uh, but when I go back to it now, uh, it's not no longer there, unfortunately. So what yeah. I may do is ask her, if she'll give me permission to publish it as a note on my Facebook group. Oh, and I think she should put it out on Medium. I, I, again, these are conversations, oh, yes. the shit we don't talk, transgenerational trauma. Absolutely. What, and when, you know, when you talk about a millennia, that's amazing. That's an amazing amount of time. So listen, we're going to transition into some real shit we don't talk about. Real you guys, yes. couple, you know, a couple of different things we'll talk about, um, but mainly the model minority, sis, speak to me on that. So you, you guys had just barely touched at the end of your, your uh, interview I, and I went, ooh, what this, you know, what's this all about? Like, I, I, I know, wanna... I wish I'd had more time, right? Uh, because they were both amazing and, and both so just wickedly smart and we were just talking about all sorts of things. And as good discussions go, we, you know, run over time. I'm like, oh my God, I have to cut them off. And I just, I felt horrible about it. Uh, but you're right. We um, will get, I, I know you'll get, you'll get back to that. And then I, I saw it in your interview and then on one of the links that you posted about mm-hmm. the, the two young gals that just, they're given the finger to the model minority. Yeah. I loved that. They said that. I love that. And so um, Asians are often thought of as a model minority because we just kind of don't rock the boat. And, right. and I am the walking epitome of not the model minority, right? <laughs> uh, I like rocking the boat. And um, I didn't grow up like that. I grew up very, uh, you know, respectful, like, okay, I was the goody two shoes. I did everything my parents told me to do because that was expected of me. I was the sure. eldest. And then I went off to college and realized, oh, you know what? I don't have to be like that. Uh, but I think that was already brewing for over sure. the years. And then I just felt the freedom to really fully embrace my identity better once I had gone off to college Um, because and and we mentioned this about being matriarchs without children right I remember as a 12 year old as a 12 year old Mia thinking I do not want to have children wow yeah yeah I mean and and that's that that, I want to focus yeah that's just not the typical age at all no you were thinking that you wanted to focus on my career, whatever it may be, right? And in the Asian community, 
a woman is expected to do everything her parents have told her, um, go off to college, get a good job, you know, whatever it may be, find a good husband, have some children, be that model minority. And I was like, fuck that shit. (laughs) (laughs) FTS. And and that's our age too, because now, um, you know, where I'm in my mid fifties, you did you? I'll be, at, I'll be 50. I'll be 50 this in a couple year. of weeks. Yeah. This is the, that's right. We're almost hitting that. I mean, we're from that age that, that even, um, you know, just a typical American dream of, yeah, that's, that's how certainly our, my mom was raised in the Midwest and then that was passed down to me as well. But then we, we definitely are, you know, especially that that's a stereotype that, that us, me as a white person, also see as that my model minority. We get, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about that's a shit we don't talk about that I know infuriates you too, is that docile Asian woman. Oh, <laughs> how much does that make you see red and oh yeah, ball up your fist? <laughs> that is a hilarious stereotype to me, mm. right? But it is a demeaning and and can be a harmful stereotype. Sure. Um, and it's funny because folks talk, uh, you know, I, I've had friends or other people kind of ask about this, like, you are definitely not that stereotypical Asian. You're not submissive. You're not docile. Mm. I said, well, neither was my mother. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not really sure where this whole stereotype came from. Now, there are many women that she knows and that I've come across who, who do, who are in that mold. And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but yeah they could be more introverted and things like that. But, but that's again, to say that Asians, just like everybody else, there's different personalities, there's different mindsets. So not yeah. all of us are submissive or docile. Definitely not this girl. And I, uh, I will say, I think a lot of that, let's just put that shit on the table. White male fetishizing, fetishizing yes. is the, the, the word yes. I'm thinking yes. of. And, and here's what I love that you was mentioned as well, is, is that Asian, Asians can be seen as a monolith. And then the model minority is, is a protection and a wedge as well. Talk about that. Yeah. And uh, you will hear me say that often. And it is, yeah. it has protected us in the sense of being attacked um, as many other people of color have been, you know, our, my Latino friends, my black friends, um, they may have uh, experienced a lot more, or not, not may, I know they did. I'm not mm-hmm. saying may anymore. They did experience much more, um, gosh, almost violent attacks, acrimonious attacks, whatever you want to, you know, whatever that appropriate adjective is for, um, compared to their Asian friends and contemporaries, because we're viewed as this model minority. So we're not as scary. It's safer. I mean, let's just, let's just say it now, you know, I am seeing a lot more and this was, you know, of course, in this hopefully current on the way out administration, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, but you know, even, uh, what was it in, in, um, uh, long, uh, in California, just South of LA. Uh, anyway, I'll think, I'll think oh, uh, long, um, long beach, long beach. Yes. And, I, I started saying long Island was like, no, I, know, I, was, I was thinking the same thing too. Long beach. And this was, oh gosh, maybe a year or two ago, but this woman walking her dog. Now, thank God for the advent of our little broadcast tower called the cell phone. So yes. shit's getting out there a lot more, but it also makes you think what wasn't videoed, but Asian couple walking their dog and, and they were just so shocked at, they're like, who's she talking to? 
of because somebody was you know go back to their country and they literally were kind of like looking at is she talking to us um and so that's you know even more that that is on the rise as well but it, but and that's where this the the mindset of our country does tend towards you know the go back to your go back to your country like bitch this is my country this is my country um it's, but you know i'm glad you brought that up because it brings up a, a, another good point we do have these little mobile <laughs> evidence first for us now. Yeah, broadcast towers. Broadcast towers, exactly. But at the same time, I think, not to say that there weren't incidences, perhaps they weren't reported. Um, not so much recorded, but reported, because again, back to that, that idea and what yeah. Asian elders think is that uh, we don't want to cause any trouble. We're not going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Shit that we didn't talk about. We're not going to report it. So there may have been an underreporting of good incident. point um, oh. because there was a story about a grandmother in Long Island this time, I believe mm-hmm. it was in York who she was a 90 ish year old grandmother who somebody came up and attacked her and tried to set her on fire. Oh my goodness. And thankfully she realized it. And so she, you know, went uh, up against a, a post real fast and kind of put the fire yeah. out. It was on her sleeve, on her back and she wasn't harmed. Thankfully, but at first, she was like, I'm just going to go back to my house. I'm not going to report it. I'm not going to talk about it. But um, those who are in my generation and younger are like, uh-uh, this is shit we're going to stand up <laughs> against. And so that's how it got reported and, and made um, the news. And there was a gentleman who was part of the, the community organization there who put up a reward to help try to find the perpetrators. Interesting. And so that's another facet to think about, too. Mm-hmm. And so back to the, the, um, the model minority protection. So that's some of it, but, but because we are seen as not as scary or whatever it may be, it has driven, yes, threatening. Uh, that's a much better word. Um, we're seeing, we, you know, has, it's driven a wedge between Asians and other minorities, uh, other people of color, specifically wow. black community. Yeah, let's talk, and, let's get into that. Yeah, and the Latino community. And because, um, again, we kind of got sucked into that mindset of, oh, we're better than anybody else because we're right underneath a white person, right? Because we, we, we could pass for a white person. Um, and but, that's in the, what, what is your, the Mas, Maslow's hierarchy? Oh, right? well, no, it's, it's not Maslow's hierarchy, but it was just, I was just using that as an example. So, it, yeah, right. It's in that same vein. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So recently I was a guest on Becoming Allies, which is another great podcast. If you guys have not come across it, uh, my friend Becky Winchell and her co-host Maria Youngbeck mm-hmm. uh, had me on and Maria brought this up in our conversation where we we're talking about the model minority um, she said that she'd come across this in some research and not, not, we are not saying that this is right. This is just research that she This is just us talking about our opinion, folks. Okay. And some research too. Yeah, exactly. So like there's this racial hierarchy and white people are at the very top of that, that, that totem pole, the food chain and right underneath it are Asians and then differing, you know, other minorities and black people are at the very bottom. And we're not even talking about gender at this point, folks, which is why anybody who knows me in my real life, I say tongue in cheek, but I really mean it. Top of the food chain, white guys. 
I'm not saying all you white guys are, but I'm just saying there is, there is that top of the food chain. And that's when you even start getting into um, the dollar amount, which, which is fact of, you know, us as females, me as a white female, I'm still it now because I'm an entrepreneur and I asked for, I asked for my worth and most, you know, most people I know that, that do, but you know, we're still at like 85 cents on the dollar. And then, then you start looking at, I think we, I think we just hit the equality date for black females was in September, that that's how long they have to work throughout the year, September folks to meet the same dollar amount as white males. That's a whole other show. Yeah. That's uh, we could, man, Mm -hmm. there's so much so I know shit. when we're there's we, so much shit that we need to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna uh, scratch the surface today, but but yes, on the on the model minority, and then you do look at that hierarchy. It's a it it is an interesting uh, headspace. It, it absolutely is, and um, you know, unfortunately, many in the that are in the older generation of Asians, and even in the Vietnamese community, and I know that. Um, um, you know, it could be said for Cambodians or Chinese. It's it's just, you know, in the our Asian community, black people are feared, um, are looked down upon um, often by you know again these are <laughs> the older generation right they have these this mindset this stereotype and I don't know where some of its experiences but some of it could be have been fed to them from the top of the food chain, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so it just is sad to know that many of them have racist views and tendencies and there is no getting them to change their mind about it. Um, sure. And in a recent Texas Monthly article that I read, uh, the author writes about the divisiveness in the Vietnamese community that Black Lives Matter has caused. I was just going to ask you about that. uh, And I think it has just come to a head because of BLM, but it's been there. That divisiveness has been there. And there was a great um, quote in there. They, she, the author spoke to one of the women who is a board member of the Vietnamese cultural um, community organization. And it's an organization that I've, done a few things with myself it's it's a lot of great programming for the Vietnamese community but she sounds like she's around my age or my generation and she says I love my parents but I know they're racist and as a white person then these these are why we need to have these conversations too are the different nuances that needs to come up and out be discussed we're not demonizing anyone we're just Absolutely. putting a conversation start uh-huh. to it Absolutely. I mean, you're right. You're absolutely correct. I'm not trying to demonize anybody. I just no. want to put it out there. Yeah. No, I appreciate are, that. These are things um, that do exist. Shit we don't talk about that exists within the Asian community and within even within the different generations. Um, I find a lot of hope and encouragement for future generations because I like my niece and my nephew they're just like, oh, oh okay, yeah. you know, my friends are my friends. I don't, you know, okay, that's great that this one's Hispanic and I have this friend who's black or, but they don't care. And I, I really, that, I find that so encouraging and so yes. hard. And I hope that that continues. Um, and then for our generation and for older, I, I hope that these types of conversations and discussions will help to kind of open some minds and go, oh, 
I didn't think about that. You're right. And we have so many conversations as as friends, and uh, we we then it's funny we have a, a little private. Uh, a Facebook conversation between you and I and our friend Rachel, and we just dive, dive into so much. And, and we've been doing that for a while, but of course this year in the year 2020, when we've hit this racial revolution, uh, now we're, we're diving into even more uh, diverse and deep conversations. And we're seeing people, because it's not as black and white, sorry to be so... Um, oh my gosh, that's so stereotypical. It it's new. No, and I thought I was all kinds of plugged in and woke up. Mm-mm. I've this year I've had to face so many different things of assumptions because it wasn't my experience as all. Even, you know, my outrage has always been there as a feisty woman, uh, especially as I hit my 40s and my 50s with less shits given and now next to zero, if not less than zero. Right, as yeah. I like to say, Dilly Gaff, do I look like I give a fuck? <laughs> and I truly, I, I Dilly my favorite. Um, I and I, tr- I truly do give a fuck. It's just this the the shit that that's just you know nah. But I I love the the conversations that we're having that are now more nuanced and um, yeah. and this is where we're going to be led to of it not being black white. And again, I know you mentioned that that's why you started. Um, Children of the Dragon, and we're gonna close out with that. Tell me how you came up with that name, and then I know uh-huh. you're you're interviewing. Um, you you know originally it was Daughters of the Dragon. Tell me about that, and then we'll sure. we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the the idea kind of came to me a few years ago. I was at a, a conference for women, which you would love, and and it was on Isla Mujeres, and I was all like, I promise, I'm not just on vacation. I actually am at a conference. It's the and, Isla conference. That's right. Yes. And these women that were speaking were amazing. Yeah, I was blown away by the things that they had done, the things that they experienced. And I was sitting there thinking, what could be my legacy? Um, What is it that I want to add to the world, leave to the world? And so because it was a women's conference, this is how I started thinking about the women who were Vietnamese refugees, like my mother, because their stories haven't ever really been fully told, I don't feel like, because when you read about history and you read about things and you see documentaries, they often speak to the soldiers and the, the leaders and that's right. guess what? They all men. <laughs> yeah, that's the first voice. There's still that hierarchy with, within, yes. within uh, race. And, and we, you know, we talked about exactly. that too. You're, exactly. What you're not factoring in is, oh no, that's just white males. That's not time to talk about this type of thing, but you're right. Like just all the different here. nuances, as you yeah. mentioned, right? And so yes. that's why I started thinking about it and calling it Daughters of the Dragon. And then because of what has happened over the last few years and in the current climate, I my idea evolved. And while my focus is still going to be on a lot of Vietnamese refugees, I want to share all of the immigrant and refugee stories from, mm. from all around the globe. And so I changed it to Children of the Dragon. And um, there is a creation myth for the Vietnamese people that we were descended from a dragon king and a fairy queen. And that's why I kept the name. Um, and as you know, dragons are uh, seen as fierce and strong creatures in mythology. Mm-hmm. And those are absolutely uh, traits that immigrants and refugees have to have to survive, uh, even if they don't realize it. And so I kept the name and I think it's very appropriate. I do too. And I, I, I 
that I talk a lot in my own personal journey about the difference between surviving and thriving. And I, and I know that for your family's story and for many of the stories, it was just like, get over here, get busy and start just survive that situation exactly. and then, and then thrive. But I really feel like that part, the definition of thrive is also going to include retelling the stories and revisiting those stories that really is shit that doesn't get talked about. Absolutely. And, and, you know, my a large part of why I wanted to share all these stories too, and, and for my family, it's, it was a little bit of selfish uh, uh, reason. I want the kids in the next generation to know where they came from, to yeah. never forget where they came from and um, embrace my, it and be embrace proud. It, right. Yeah. My, my cousin's kids are just a mixture of different ethnicities. You know, I've got a niece and nephew who's um, half, Mexican, half of Mies, and then, you know, it is just, we're a melting pot, we truly are, and I love that so much, um, but I also, at the same time, want them to understand each of their cultural identities, mm-hmm. and to remember it. Amen, amen. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I know this is a passion project, and uh, in addition to all the other cool things you're doing, you can read about <laughs> that in the bio that we have, so Sister Anne, thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on and having this conversation. I mean, Absolutely. I think that your podcast and the format and the channel is needed because there is a lot of shit we don't talk about. <laughs> there is a ton. I'm going to finish with one more question. We're going to get out of here. What is your favorite expletive or swear word or phrase? <laughs> oh, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> and that is not a directive, folks. It might be. but uh, <laughs> No, no. Um, I do like to use that little four-lettered F word a lot. It's so handy. It is. It's (laughs) handy. It's very diverse and just useful for all sorts of things. (laughs) I whisper half me a lot during the day depending on uh depending on what's happening Thank well you depending on my audience i may say whiskey tango foxtrot <laughs> <laughs> i'm totally stealing that was, what the fuck <laughs> thank you sis you guys will see all the information on how to how to follow Anne and her show take care thank you thanks sis Well, that wraps up episode four of Shit We Don't Talk About. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. I feel like we barely scratched the surface on these important issues that we need to talk about now more than ever. Make sure to follow Anne and check out her show at facebook.com forward slash children of the dragon seven five. If you like this episode, please do all the things like share with your friends, subscribe and leave a review, especially if it's a nice one. If you really like the podcast and you want to show it, head on over to shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com. Click on the patrons button and become a full-time supporter of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Bye.